0: this morning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter number five. I'll meet you there in just a little while. First of all, I want to say some things that I wish I could ignore, but I can't. You just have no idea how how much I would like to just skip over these preliminary remarks, but I can't because I, I'm pretty well sure I know what's on the minds of most people today, and as I think back on this past week, my first impression was to say, America is doomed, there's no hope, and let me tell you, that might be true, If you're here today and you think, oh, that that just can't be, you're living in a fool's paradise. It just might be, but that's God's business. And that's what we need to realize. My business is to preach the Word of God, and your business as a Christian is to win people to Christ, not save America. That's not the commission that he gave to us. He gave us the commission to go into all of the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. I can't change what happened. I can't control what might happen. And all I can do is to make sure that I respond in the right way. I'm not responsible for what anybody else does. Uh, I don't have to answer for anyone's actions but my own. So how do we respond to what's going on in the world today? Well, I'm going to tell you this morning. I'm going to let the Lord tell you this morning. But first of all, before we get to the message, I want to tell you how you shouldn't respond And you don't know how difficult it is to keep these remarks brief, but I'm going to try. As a general rule, you're better to ignore their nonsense than to engage them in a debate. I know that's the opposite of what you want to do, right? You just want to open up both barrels and have at it. And some of you are silly enough to do that on Facebook, and all you're doing is just Doing more harm than good when you get into a debate with people on Facebook uh, about the issues that we're discussing this morning. Uh, you know, I think maybe the best way is just to say, you know, we each one have to answer to God for what we do, and I'll be praying for you. And, and just drop it. You know, unless they want to have a Bible study. And they don't somebody you know might say, "Well, are you a gay friendly church absolutely I, I I wish this building was just filled with gay people, so I could preach to them but they they're not they're not going to come here for that reason uh, and let me tell you something, if they're not going to listen to God and what God's word says, they're not going to listen to you. Do you think you're going to win them by your debate and your ranting and raving about all of this stuff and so forth? It's not going to do any good because they're not looking for answers. Their mind's made up. They're not looking for answers. They're looking for acceptance. And when I say acceptance, they're not just looking for acceptance in, in that you accept them, acknowledge their right to exist and so forth. They want to shove it down your throat and make you like them. That's what this is all about. If you don't believe what I'm saying, all you got to do is listen to the president's remarks after the Supreme Court decision, and he made it clear exactly what their mission ought to be. He lays it right out that it's now your job to enlighten all of those religious people that have been objecting all of this time. Romans 12 and verse 18, you don't need to turn there, I'll quote it. It says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And you know, I think that's, that's not just good advice, that's a command. But notice he says, As much as lieth in you, and as you already know, it's not possible to live peaceably with everyone because living at peace with others requires cooperation on both sides. It can't all be one-sided. Both sides have to, to cooperate. And the only way to satisfy some people is for you to agree with them. And when it comes to Christian principles and values, that's something that we cannot do. And we should never compromise what the bible teaches and what our convictions are in that regards in order to make other people happy the least of all which is you know to please them and i'm just trying to tell you debating with these folks is a waste of time because if people listen to me and and i want to say this lovingly i you know I, Am, am I angry? I'm angry with the Supreme Court for trashing our Constitution the way they have. But I'm not angry with these people that that we're talking about. I'm not angry with them. My heart breaks for them. I, I My heart is grieved for them. And so I'm saying this out of love. Anytime people, whether it's me, you, or anyone else, when we disrespect God and we disobey God there's no grounds for agreement and if there's no grounds for agreement there's no reason for argument whenever whenever the the bible talks about the fact that god gave them over to a reprobate mind let me tell you when that happens it's a waste of your time to engage people in debate but listen to me how should we respond we don't want to be like those nitwits up here at the Westboro Baptist Church and do some of the crazy stuff they do. You know, how do we respond? We don't want to, we don't want to mistreat people and uh, abuse people in any way whatsoever. I, I, I do get sick and tired of people talking about how we Christians hate certain people. You know, I, I don't know any Christian that hates gay people. I don't know a one. I really don't. Love has nothing to do with us agreeing on every single issue. So how do we respond? Because you can't ignore this. Young people, when you go to school, you're going to be facing it. When you go to work, you're going to be facing it. Wherever you go, this is an issue that we're going to be facing. And we as Christians, above all people, we need... to to realize and understand how we ought to respond to what's going on in the world today. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we convince our critics? Well, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 43. Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his sun to shine on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, What reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which in heaven is perfect. Last week I wrote an article for the pastor's blog. It was entitled Responding to Evil, and it was based on these verses here. And that message was actually a follow-up to the one the day before where I referred to these verses in order to show how difficult the Christian life really is. And I made this statement. I said, it is impossible without God's aid because every Christian is called to live a miracle. You could say that we're called to live a life that is contrary to popular opinion, one that the general public is not going to accept, one that literally will hate us, despise us, even persecute us. But I want you to notice that there is a contrast here in our text between what people say and what God says. Notice Jesus said, you have heard that it has been said and you know whenever i read that it reminds me that we live in a very opinionated world and you have as much right to your opinion as i do to my opinion by the way we live in an opinionated world and uh, uh a lot of voices are clamoring for our attention and and there are many and they are loud and whenever you examine these verses here And you look at your situation, wherever you are in life, you understand you have to deal with difficult people. Notice notice how the Lord describes these people. He says they're enemies. Quote. And then he says, them that curse you, hate you, despitefully use you, persecute you. Then he calls them evil and says they are unjust. Now... That's a bad bunch of people any way you look at it, right? The Lord's telling us there, there are those kind of people here on this earth. And Christianity is never lacked for critics. They're everywhere. Their attitude is serious. Their attacks are relentless. You know, and compounding this problem is the fact that as much as we hate to, you know, admit it, we give them a lot of ammunition for their complaints. You you oftentimes hear them say, well, I don't want anything to do with church because there are too many hypocrites in the church. And the sad fact of the matter is they're right. They're right in saying there are too many hypocrites in the church. Now, that doesn't justify what they do, but there are too many hypocrites in every church because just one hypocrite is too many. But what we need to remember is it's always the fallen star that gets the attention. And they've painted this issue with a broad brush, trying to make it appear that all Christians are like that. And they're not. And we need to convince ourselves or conduct ourselves in a way that will convince our critics. And that's the title of the message this morning, Convincing Our Critics. Critics, we need to convince them what? That we are the children of God. That's what the Bible tells us in First Peter, that we are to give a reason for the hope that is within us. You know, give an answer to every man that asks a reason of the hope that is within us. And we are to live our life in such a way that it makes an impression upon people. You see, it's not enough just to tolerate people. If we're going to convince our critics, we have to display those things that are, that are characteristic of Christians. And love is at the very top of that list. Amen. Now, I want to be really careful here because I don't want to be overly critical of those that are really trying to reach people for Christ but there's something that I need to mention. Sometimes we put so much emphasis on certain things that are associated with being a good Christian that we, uh, we ignore the main thing. You can probably guess what would be on that list. I'm really tempted to ask you just to call out the things you can think of, but I, I'm not but I'm tempted. But just imagine in your mind a list of all of the different things that, that are associated with being a good Christian. If you're a good Christian, you know, you do this and you do that. If you're a good Christian, yo, you don't do that. And we can all visualize that list. Am I right? you got a list up there in your mind? Have you thought of some things? But the problem is, so many times, you know, we do all of those things or refrain from doing certain things. We've made our checklist and we're A-OK. And what we fail to understand is we can do all of those things and not do the main thing, which is love others. I've known people over the years, I can remember people that if you, if you stopped and And I heard one preacher, he spent nearly 30 minutes talking about the day that he backslid so bad because as he was traveling on a Sunday, he stopped and bought a Dr. Pepper out of a machine shopping on Sunday. I've known people who, I mean, it was a horrible, terrible sin, and they just condemned you as some kind of an awful, If you, you know, if you were saved at all, you were terribly backslidden because you went to a professional baseball game, and, and they served beer there. How dare you go there? And, and listen, that list goes on and on and on, and as long as you kept your nose clean, didn't do any of those things, you were all right. You could be as mean as a junkyard dog to your wife and your kids, but you were all right, you know. Even if you didn't have any love for other people. I'm telling you, love has a powerful effect on people. Because nothing in all of the world will reach the heart of people like love. You know the great thing about it? It's something that every Christian can do. By that I mean regardless of your IQ. Now, there's some things I can't do because of my IQ. It's not at, I don't know where it's at, but it's not a genius level. I can guarantee you that. Probably due to chewing on that lead when I was a kid, but I i don't know. I, I can't do that. I can't beat Bev at Wheel of Fortune. I, I don't care how hard I try. She's better than me at that. I, she just, she's just just amazing. I, I, I can't do that. And then there's some things you can't do because of your education, right? There might be some things you can't do because of your appearance or your abilities and things like that. But regardless of all of those things that you can't do, the one thing you can do if you're a child of God is you can love people. You can do it and you ought to do it. And by the way, you can't hide it. You can't hide it because love Meets needs. Love demonstrates concern. Love reveals compassion. And whenever we love people, it uh, it gets attention. You can ignore a lot of things about people, but boy, when you know they love you, that gets your attention, and then it generates appreciation. And then it gives evidence that we are who we claim to be. Now, with all of that in mind, I want you to I want you to notice what the Lord says is three things that we need to understand. We're talking about how we respond to the evil that's in the world today, how it is that we convince our critics. Notice three things. First of all, is the responsibility there in verse forty three and verse forty four. It's all summed up in verse 44, where he says, "Love your enemies." Now, first of all, we need to understand who our enemies are, because a lot of people they don't understand that. They think everybody that doesn't agree with them, you know, is is, is your enemy. That's not right. We don't have to agree on everything in order to love one another. Surely, just because somebody disagrees with you does not make them your enemy. And by the way, it doesn't make them your enemy just because, uh, because they don't like you. Or maybe it's those that are hard to get along with. Does that make them your enemy just because they're hard to get along with? We need to understand who our enemies are. And it doesn't make them your enemy just because they tell you the truth. And a lot of folks right now, they're looking at Christians as though that we are full of hate and that we are their enemies simply because we just want to tell them the truth. We want to share with them what God's Word says. And so, consequently, they put us on the enemy list. And those of us that are Christians, we're not exempt from this so many times. We label somebody as our enemy, and they're not our enemy at all. You don't have to like everything about someone in order to love them. I mean, if that's what you believe, you're really mixed up. Maybe the best way to identify who our enemies are is to just look and see how they're described here. We don't have to guess at this. Notice... He speaks about those who curse us, those who hate us, those who despitefully use us. Now look back at verse 11 in this same chapter of what the Lord says. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Now notice, for my, for my sake. They make them Selves, your enemies as a result of doing those things they mean you harm they do not have your best interest at heart in in, in other words uh, it all boils down to this that we are to love the most the most unlovely people by the way that's in that kind of sounds familiar isn't that kind of the way god is with us if he loves us unconditionally, whoever we are, He loves us. He does. Listen, that doesn't mean He excuses our sin. That doesn't mean He's going to let us into His heaven. But God certainly loves all of us. You'll never meet anyone that God doesn't love. That doesn't mean He likes all of their ways. So notice, here's our responsibility. Love your enemies. But notice, He begins to elaborate on that. He says, bless them that curse you. Now, oh, that's hard to do, isn't it? I'll never forget shortly after I was saved, and I know I've told this before, and I was over by SMS, the college there, Southwest Missouri State College, and a bunch of them college kids in a car, and we got into one of these games where, you know, uh, road rage cutting each other off, and they'd get in front of me and break, and I'd just been saved and surrendered to preach, and finally we pull up the stoplight, and boy, we started jawing back and forth, and I mean, and then the cussing and the name-calling. And some way or another, by the grace of God, I stayed in that car. Instead of getting out with my ball bat and busting out windows like I normally would have, I stayed in that car. It's a, it's a tough thing to, to bless them that curse you. Well, it might may, may not be for you, but but that's hard. And notice, he doesn't stop there. He says, do good to them that hate you. Now, let me tell you, there's a big difference in just saying, you know, you know blessing someone in the sense that, well, God bless you. I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way about me. There's a big difference between that and actually doing good to someone. You, you see, a lot of times we we stop thinking it, that we've met our responsibility just because we didn't punch somebody in the nose. And so, wow, we have really succeeded. We love our enemies. We didn't punch them out when they offended us. But the Bible says, notice, do good. You treat them just the opposite of the way they're treating you. And then notice, And this takes it into the spiritual realm. He says, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You know, it really hurts when somebody just uses you, right? They just use you. Notice, they despitefully use you and they even persecute you. And yet it's our responsibility, the Bible says, to love them. Now, notice the reason here in verse 45. 46 and verse 47. This is a reason that you may be the children of your father. I'm not talking about that we become the children of God, but rather that we might be recognized to be the children of God. That they might see us as God's children because of it. Now, now notice the, notice the the example that he gives, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. These are the people that he's just been talking about here. And notice that he says that God is good toward these people, that we ought to do good to them. Why? Why? in order that we can show them that we're the children of God, because God does good to those who are unjust and those who are evil. He's good to to everyone. Why? Why is God good to those that are evil and unjust? Why? Well, the Bible answers that question. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4 said the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Many of you have heard me say, you know, when I was a boy laying out in the backyard in summer, sleeping there. I slept there a lot at night time. lay out there and I'd look up at the stars and I'd think, surely there must be a God. I, I, I didn't go to church. I'd never read the Bible. Didn't know anything about it. But even then, I believed that there must be a God. Just look at all of that. That didn't just happen there must there must be a God, and I was in awe at the wisdom of God and the power of God. And then I started going to church, and I thought about you know, listening to the preacher, and he talked about hell, and and uh, that was a fearful thought. But the only thing that broke down my resistance and got through my hard heart was the verse that Rome that that Ron quoted in Romans five eight. That He loved us in that while we were yet sinners. God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners that Christ would die for us. That was just so amazing. It was beyond belief. You see, that's why God's good to everyone. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Now, if it's the goodness of God that brings about a change in our mind about Him then it just stands to reason that it is our goodness expressed out of love for others that will convince them that we are who we claim to be. And without doing that, there is no evidence that we are the children of God and no reason for them to believe that we really are. So this is the reason. But then I want you to notice the result in verse number 48. Here's the result. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And I know some folks have never studied this and have no idea what he's talking about. You know, they're thinking to themselves, is God saying that we've got to be sinless? No, that's not what he's saying. That'd be nice. But he's not t- demanding that we be sinless or in that sense. The word perfect here simply... Simply means to be brought to completion or something that is fully accomplished. It's the number of perfection seven is. Be perfect, brought to completion, fully accomplished. Now when you look at that, you see I see two things, and one I see a command, but I also see a promise. And the the promise is this, that when we do as He commanded, love our enemies, bless them that curse us, do good to them that hate us, we pray for them which despitefully use us, whenever we do that, what happens? We become like our Father. We don't become as God, but we become like God. And that enables others to see Him living in us. Now, all of that being said, surely there's not anyone here, you know, that cannot see the need for a love such as this. I mean, that is so obvious that it ought to be something that's desired by everyone. And the good news, the good news is that Christ makes it possible for us to love people like that. The good news is that Christ enables us to forgive those that have offended us, to do good to those that have abused us or whatever, because He can take the most sinful, selfish, stubborn person on earth and change him and give him the ability to do as the Bible commands. But those who do not No, Christ will always lack love. Because without Him, there is no love. You see, He is the only source. Without Him, we're doomed. With Christ, we have everything we need to do everything that we should. You know, if you just put heaven aside and eternity... And all of the rewards that we've been promised is God's reward, if you put all of that aside and pretended like none of those things ever existed, if all Jesus ever did was enable us to love one another, it would be still the greatest treasure on the earth. And if the requirement to love, to bless, to do good... And to pray for sinners, let me tell you, if that doesn't cause you to see your need of God's help, I don't think anything will. You know, it's real easy for us to look down from our ivory tire on everybody else and condemn them. We look at their sin and say it's so awful that they just totally ignore what the Bible teaches. Those awful, terrible, horrible, sinful people. Just look at what they're doing. It's so sickening. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are untrue, by the way. But I'm simply saying, what gives us the right to have that attitude toward them and then to look at ourselves knowing that we don't have any love in our heart for people like that? and break our arm, patting ourselves on the back, congratulating ourselves for being such good Christians. I, I, I've got to admit, it's boy, it's hard to love your enemies. It's beyond hard. It, I think back over the years, and boy, I, only Bev and some of my kids would ever know what I'm talking about. There have been some things done to my children that I loved dearly years and years ago that if I had my way, I would have killed some people. And it's only by the grace of God I didn't. They better thank God that He was the only thing that restrained me. But there's a big difference, folks. A big difference in just refraining from taking out your vengeance on people and actually loving people. And I look at that command, love your enemies and bless them. Do good to them and pray for them. And I just have to fall on my knees and say, dear God, if you don't help me, I can't do this. If we never looked at another verse in all of the Bible, this right here ought to cause us to see our need of revival. We need a revival of love that will be so obvious to those that we come in contact with us, even though they don't agree with us, even though we never win them over to our way of thinking or what the Bible teaches, that our love for them will be so overwhelming that they cannot deny it. That's what God wants, and that's what they need. And that ought to be what we do, is to give ourselves so fully to the Lord that He is able to love others through us. God help us to do that. And if you're here and you've never been saved, let me tell you, you have no idea what what you're missing. You'll never be able to love others like you should. You'll never treat yourself with the respect and dignity that you deserve until, first of all, you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Will you trust Him today? Let's all stand together. Brother Kenneth's going to come and he's going to extend the invitation while I go make ready for the baptismal service this morning. And uh, if God is speaking to your heart, whether it's about your need of god's help in this regards or whether it's for salvation would you come and case and pike and i are going to go up and uh, to the baptistry and in just a few minutes we'll we'll be baptizing case and god bless you Amen.
1: Jesus, oh Jesus, Jesus. God I'm
2: wonder how the Lord would lead our pastor today and in, in teaching the word of God to us and 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 I and I understand what happened today our, our focus has hopefully gone from from these things going on to ourselves and uh, to focus on ourselves. it seems like it's the hardest thing in the world to do we can so easily focus on everyone and and all their criticism and problems, but but to love one another. That leads us to look within ourselves and to the Lord for that help.
1: we' gonna do I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within seeking to rise no more but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted. Nip- me now, say, and I love? Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted. First Souls in danger, look above, Jesus completely saved. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the seas, billows his will obey. He, your Savior, wants to be, be saved today. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Aren't you glad
2: you think about
0: where He brought us from? where we might have been. Think about where we would be without Him. And the psalmist describes that so clearly of being down in that pit, in a horrible pit, he said. And He brought me up out of the pit and He set my feet on a solid rock and established my going and put a new song in my heart. It's so wonderful to think about the difference that Jesus makes. And if you know someone that does not know Him as their Lord and Savior, please pray for them every single day. Pray for them that regardless of who they are, what they've done, regardless of how guilty they are, let's leave all of that, that stuff with God and, and just ask God to do a work in their heart that will change their life and not just change their life, but change their destiny forever. Thank you so much for being here. And Cason will be out in just a minute, and we're going to go ahead and have a word of prayer. And you stay around, please, and he'll be here. And, and where's Cheyenne at? Uh, she's oh, she's sitting down back there. If she wants, she can, of course, join him whenever he comes out here. And, and uh, thank the Lord for that. Let's bow our heads together as we go to the Lord in prayer. And... Uh, Brother Richard Wilson, would you lead us in prayer this morning, please?